We be jamming with Lena Abajamra. How many times am I going to say that this morning? Well, probably too many. So jamming with Lena. I hope you can just bear with me, please. Lena Abajamra ministers to singles through her Moody Radio show, Today's Single Christian, and is engaged in providing medical care and humanitarian help to Syrian refugees and others in disaster areas in the Middle East. I'm sure that comes out of her work as an ER doctor. She's our guest today, and we're talking about her new book, Fractured Faith. Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. So your book is Fractured Faith, and this comes out of your own story. Tell us your story of fractured faith, if I can put it that way. Well, you know, so I'm going around my life, you know, 2000, I, I feel God's calling to teach the Bible. I'm well into my finishing up my training in pediatric emergency medicine. And I had, a, again, a very out of brokenness, sort of the sense that God really had a calling for my life in teaching his word and, and started living towards that goal of, of honoring God with my gifts. And, and so while I practiced medicine, my life became about building this dream that I had for God to teach his word and see the world come to revival. I mean, it's the same dream that I have now. But it became, I think, you know, in some ways, you know, you, even as you're walking through that, you recognize that things can become idolatrous, but, mm-hmm. but you don't really even think that. And so, you know, I started going to a church after I moved to Chicago in that season that was very fueled on, on worship and big and strong and, and really a, people just, it exploded, became sort of what we were, we were seeing in that era, the mega church, multi-campus, personality-driven, you know, pastor-centered place. And the pastor was an incredible communicator and really probably taught me a lot of what I know now in teaching and was just a big person in my life in terms of just looking up to him and wanting to just see that same growth in my own life and ministry. And then, you know, somewhere around a few years after I was there, I started seeing a lot of cracks in the foundation, things that people started talking about and blogging about. And and much like has happened in many other church situations right now, sadly, in the U.S., it eventually got to the point where, like, is this the kind of Christianity that I believe in? And there were a lot of just discrepancies with what I saw in the Gospels and what I was seeing played out in my life and things that happened that were very dramatic at the end that led me to a point of saying, this I can't stay here. Mm. I knew it would be a hard decision. It was the same summer that two of my books released, my first two books. I knew it would be bad for my ministry. I knew it would be bad for me. All my friends stayed, though they also wrestled with the questions. They just, you know, justified it at the hand of, well, great things are happening here. God must be moving here. And it took several years after my leaving for the truth to fully unfold. In those years, it looked like they, meaning the church, continued to flourish. It looked like I had lost, in a sense. It looked like God had not stepped in where I thought he would. It looked like God was quiet. It looked like I didn't belong in Christian circles for a while. And I I really struggled with that. I struggled with understanding the goodness of God when I thought I was doing the right things. I struggled to see my ministry, you know, struggle for a while and and understanding, God, how, why? Why am I even doing this? If you don't care about what we do, then why do anything? And I think I just sort of kept doing the motions of Christianity, but I built a wall in my life where I really was not very authentic with God. I I really didn't feel I could trust God. It went from not trusting God's people to just simply wondering whether God himself could be trusted. So what I hear you saying is that you started distrusting, you know, the church and the leadership— and that led to you having this distrust in God? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't wake up one day and go, okay, I don't trust people, therefore I don't trust God. It was more like you act in obedience to God, and you think because of it, God's going to honor that. And when he doesn't, 
you don't think, oh, it's just a matter of time, God's words to be true. I mean, you think in your head you're going to be faithful and there's a circled verse and everything. But in the in the setting of church hurt, it messes with you because like, it's one thing if the world hurts you and you persecute it for it because you're sort of like, well, they're not Christians. Satan's, you know, attacking me as a Christian. But when it's other Christians, it plays a mind game on you because you kind of go, wait, who's right? Are we both mm-hmm. children of God? Does God like them better than he likes me? What am I? And so all these other areas of disappointment in my life resurfaced, you know, so whereas I had like, you know, back years before I had broken an engagement and two engagements in the past, but one that was sort of more dramatic and ended up, you know, not having the ending that I thought I would in my own personal life. I'm still single now. And, and sort of that pain of like, wow, like, is God really even like, why is my life so hard? What have I done? So it stopped being about the church at some point. It started being a vertical battle and wrestling, sort of like, I guess, Jacob had in, in that dark night when he found himself alone wrestling with God. And, and and yes, I think it turned into a point where I just felt like God could have fixed it all by just showing everybody yeah. the dirt that was happening at that church. And And by the way, I think many others who have lived through the agonies of other ministries that are much more public than the one I went through would say victims of abuse. You know, I don't think any of us like to think, well, I'm a, I was a victim of spiritual abuse. But really, I mean, if you read enough about some of the people who are writing about this, very expert people in this, people who, uh, you know, are psychologists and working in this, they would say this was spiritual abuse. And I think when you look at that, you know, I think there's a lot of people right now in the United States who are kind of going like, I mean, they're feeling the things I felt. And I think I think many of the people who have read the book will say, you put words to what I was feeling. Mm. And it messes with you. And Satan loves to mess with Christians. So there's certainly a part of this that was driven by Satan wanting to take me down. Mm. But there was no question that some of it was just learning to see God in the midst of the darkest season of my life. Lena Abajamara, her brand new book is called Fractured Faith. Find your way back to God in an age of deconstruction. And if you have been hurt by the church and you feel like your faith has really suffered because of it, I really encourage you to get a hold of this book from moodypublishers.com. Yeah, the book is called Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. So get your hands on this book. She's super honest in here, and I think you're going to find a guide to healing, but also let's be praying for our churches. Yeah. Yeah, Lord, we do. We just pray that you just do a new, fresh thing in our churches across America. We're not perfect people. There's no perfect church. But, Lord, we want to have healthy bodies of believers. And so, Lord, just sweep by your Spirit across the land and and bring new life. Where there's old things, Lord, sweep the old things away and bring in the new. And help us to be the ones who bring about the change by just being humble and repentant ourselves. Can you talk a little bit about the connection between brokenness within the church (laughs) and then how that kind of maybe exposes or reveals your own personal brokenness and maybe work that God wants to do there? I I think we're really good at like put on your bootstraps, you know, American culture drives that, right? I fit right in. I mean, I'm more American than I am Lebanese. I mean, I came when I was 15, but my, my psyche is American. Yeah. I thrive in this way, <laughs> right? And so, I mean, I think there's like the sense like, yeah, I was hurting back then and, and it was painful, but like I moved on, you know, like I'm, I'm strong enough, uh, you know, I'm immune enough, I'm, I'm resilient enough, I believe enough, my goodness. I mean, this is about God and how he heals us. And I think we all do that. And so it's not that we don't heal. It's just, we just sort of shove it into, it's like that drawer in our life. And and everyone has it. It's open all my cabinets, but don't open that drawer. It's yeah. like a mess. You just keep putting there. And I think we all have that drawer. Well, when I when I left the church, it was not a drawer. It was a room. I mean, 
it felt like it was not containable anymore. It was it was a system that I was trusting in. It was a way of life. It was my it was my calling, my dream, my friends. I never went to medical functions. I was doctoring in the hospital, but my life was the church. Mm-hmm. And so when that room became so toxic and I left, it wasn't now anymore a drawer, but now all of a sudden you had to open the drawer and you found in it. So imagine 20 years of rot in a drawer. If you have ever had a mold problem in your house, the longer you wait, the worse it gets. And it was that. It was like an infection that had been there but just ignored. And I don't know that I ever was that honest. I ended up going to a counselor, and, and that helped me work through that. But, but beyond that, it was sort of like coming to a point where I was willing to sit with God and just admit that. And then it was okay to admit it. It wasn't like a weak faith or a bad faith to say, man, I'm really still hurting that that happened. Why did you let him get away with that? You know, the, the hurt back then. Why? Why? God, was I? I was ashamed of the stuff from the past that was sort of back. Was I so stupid to, you know, you, you do a lot of that conversation to yourself. Like, how did I not see that? How did I? Mm-hmm. And there's shame in that. And I think, you know, again, I think I would think the one wound sort of unraveled the other areas of my life that were just not completely open and honest with God about the depth of my pain. Mm. Yeah, I hear you saying that the wound of being betrayed, if you will, by the church just led you to the other wounds in your heart. Yep. Yeah. And maybe that's your story. You know, being hurt by the church in a big way just can, it can open up all the other hurts. I think what it does is, you know, if you're hurt by the church, you become disappointed with God because, of course, you connect God with your church. And then it starts messing with you, like all the other disappointments in your life that you've had. And you're wondering, why didn't God work that out? Why didn't he fix it? Why didn't he make it better? I think that's what I'm hearing from from Lena. Yeah. And if you have questions like, where is God in my pain? Why did my story end up this way? Is this how Christians are supposed to act? Is God really fair? Hmm. This book answers those questions. The book is called Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. And you can get it at moodypublishers.com. It's what? It's 12 bucks for the paperback. It's 10 bucks for the electronic version. Uh, great investment. And maybe just for you at this time in your life. Lena, just a few minutes ago, we were talking about brokenness in the church and how that had caused you to face your own brokenness. Is there a connection between personal brokenness and hope? Everything is connected in our souls, really, isn't it? We talk about my ministry, our vision is bringing hope to the world, and and I believe in hope. And I think the greatest danger is when your hope is is stifled. And I think, you know, that idea of like, you know, you can't hope without trust, even looking back, like so much of, you know, I have faith. Like faith is like, I believe God's going to work this out. But hope is sort of this sense of peace and well-being that something good might still happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where maybe I shut the door where I thought, well, it's fine. I'm accepting almost like a resignation to accepting God's will. And hope sort of is the notion that something good might happen or that change might happen. Like, why do we keep sinning in the same way? Mm -hmm. I think people who keep falling in patterns of sin have given up hope of changing. We just don't think it'll happen again. And I think that gets worse the older we are in Christ, because now instead of a year of failure, now we've got 30 years of failure. And so you kind of go like, this is just going to be the way it is until I see him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and some people, you get to that point, you go, oh, God, I wish you would just take me because I can't mm-hmm. over. You recognize a pattern that you don't like, but you can't quite get to the root of why it keeps on happening. And so we write books about how to change. We give people five steps. If you do these things, you'll change. But at the heart of it, is a heart that just hasn't learned to trust Jesus and his grace. 
And that is so good. We are seeing this played out in the world today. We've seen this with elevated Christian leaders, very talented, you know, individuals who have led us and taught us and we've admired them. That's our problem. That's our work, right? Of Mm -hmm. like putting Mm -hmm. them up on a pedestal. But then we've seen, you know, um, things revealed in their life that they had this whole secret life. And I've, you know, we've seen it played out the years and years and years. You, you sin once or you mess up once and you're like, man, I really screwed up. I don't want to do that again. You do it twice, you, you know, and nobody knows and you keep getting away with it and you just get in this great big dark hole. Yeah. And that is where, you know, the God of hope, I, I'm reminded of out of this conversation, Romans 15, 13, you know, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. There it is. There's that link, right, between trusting and hope. As we trust in him, he fills us with hope so that we overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it says a hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when we lose hope in our struggles and hope in our battles and we keep on sinning and sinning and sinning, as Lena has said, then, you know, we think, I'm just going to be this way the rest of my life. And we just need to let Jesus pour his grace into us and and bring that struggle out into the open. I think that's so huge. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of this conversation, Lena's book is called Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in the Age of Deconstruction. And so much of our conversation this morning is going to be about feeling the brokenness yourself and being, you know, looking trustingly and lovingly back at the face of God. If you are one who is in a position of leadership, you have sinned, you know what you've done. As far as you know, nobody else knows Hmm. at this point of your failings or of what you're walking in. And you just feel like I'm too far down this trail to turn back. I can't, I can't be honest now about my own brokenness. That is a lie from the pit of hell and God meets you with grace. And yes, it could be incredibly hard to look people in the eye and admit where, and admit where you failed. But I feel like you're tuned in right now just for this conversation because God is inviting you to do just that. Yes. Lord, I thank you for the person that's tuned in just now is hearing this conversation and they know it's for them. And, and Lord, in many ways, it's for me. It's a call for me to just come out of my darkness and into your marvelous light and just continue to bring my sin into the light and, and walk with, with people I trust that I can share whatever with them. And that there are consequences to us opening up. But, Lord, I know that you, you have people, trusted people, who can be a part of our lives and that we can open up with and where the truth can be told mm. and where we can be set free. Talk a little bit about just how our own expectations play into having this distrust with God. Yeah. Yeah, I really think that is so critical to this whole conversation, this idea of desire, expectation. You know, desire, uh, we learn to, to ignore them, to stuff them, to think badly of them. To, they become sort of a, a poison with our relationship with God because I think singles, being in the singles world, I've, I've heard that over the years. You know, people talk about like, well, I had a desire to get married and, and God didn't honor it. So you start to doubt your desires 
I don't think desires are bad. It's the expectations we put. It's the on the desires. You know, th- I talk a lot in the book about this differentiation between desires, longings. Longings are delayed desires, right? That's the longing of your heart. Every one of us has longings in our own world, whether it pertains to your marriage, your kids, your your singleness. Your, you know, we all have them. So desire is, it can be good or bad. We recognize that. Longing is wanting that desire. But then expectations is what get us in trouble. Expectations is coming to God with an idea of, well, here's how it should be or here's when it should be. And I do think you're right. I think that this system of American Christianity of the last 10 years, this sort of, you know, I mean, we see it all over. I don't need to give it a name per se, but it's all over our culture. It's what millennials are going, man, I don't believe the system Mm -hmm. because it's a system that seems to work for some people more than others. If you're black, it might not work as well for you. If you're gay, it might not work as well for you. If you're if you're if you're an immigrant, it might not work as well for you. I mean, you've got these. If you're a woman in a conservative church, it might not work as well for you. And so you sort of, you know, it's 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 a system that's not from the Lord at the end yeah. of the day. I mean, a gospel that works is a gospel that's true to everybody. And so when you look at a Syrian refugee living in a tent, I talk a lot about stories of, of some of the refugees that I've met in the in the book. I mentioned a few of them, I think. And they're very powerful stories because they are not stories of American success or dream. They're still living in tents. They still have no heater. They still get a quarter from the UN every month. You know, like it's, a, it's like, what do you tell them? All things work together for good. Yeah, you got yourself a plastic tarp this month. Praise God. You know what I mean? Like you just sort of think of things... From a fairness perspective, that's why I talk about fairness in the book. But at the end of the day, we think we desire, again, a big house with a nice, you know, comfortable, you know, salary every month, a good savings account. I and mean, again, you go back to sort of this American dream. And mm-hmm. But, you know, and I think the, the mistake of a lot of the pastors that we've modeled is that they seem to live in a way that, that exemplifies this way of if you just are comfortable enough materially, if you just, you know, get known enough, if there's enough people at your meetings, then you're going to be happy. But you're not, really. And that's why they've unraveled, because it's never enough. You know, and I think those desires that we have deep in our souls, they're, they're not there by mistake. They tell us about who we are. They tell us about our relationship with God. And now the key is to be able to trust God to fulfill those good desires, to recognize when the desire is bad, but to also trust God with our good desires. There's this phenomenon going on in, in our country with millennials who were raised in church and it's, you know, it's deconstructing yeah. the faith. And, you know, I'm, I'm a baby boomer and I deconstructed my faith. There were some things I had to throw out because they just weren't, they weren't of Jesus. And so I did that myself when it wasn't a thing, but it really is a thing <laughs> now. So talk about what is this phenomenon of deconstruction yeah, you're ahead of your time, right? Most viewers. <laughs> I'm impressed. But no, I mean, deconstruction is, is, I mean, by the way, I totally understand it. I mean, I think, you know, deconstruction is when you sort of question the things that are playing out before you, but they lead to sort of a dismantling and abandoning of, of beliefs that you thought you had and don't. And a lot of that deconstruction is good. I mean, I think that there was a legalism of the 80s that had to go. And so when we came into the year 2000, you saw sort of a lot of, you know, people who are in the church world who sort of let go of that legalistic, fundamentalist language 
language and embraced more of a grace-based life. And But even that, I don't know that it was complete enough. And so there's a certain level of, you know, cultural deconstruction that has to happen in, in the church on a regular basis, you know, where you kind of look at the things that you've held and say, is this in line with the Word of God? And so I think some of the deconstruction that's happening now is is good. I think the questions that are being asked, you know, there's been the parodies, the, the Instagram, you know, account, preachers and sneakers or something like yep. that. Like, <laughs> it started as a joke, but like, it's, it's because it resonated with us because we're like, yeah, like, why the heck do you have to have a shoe that's worth more than, you know, 50 families can live on Come in another on, country? Right? You know, like, you can still have a nice shoe. It doesn't have to be that. But the point of it wasn't the shoe or the guy or, the, you know, the point is, like, there's more to our Christian faith. So the millennials that are asking the questions, they ask really good questions. I think the disservice that the Gen Xers have done to them is that we've not answered them rightly. And we've tried to sort of sugarcoat or or to hammer with hashtags and, and tweetables and, and sort of blame it on the millennials. Like they're leaving because they're bad. They never were saved. And, and maybe some are not in relationship with Christ yet. I don't know. But I, I think, you know, again, there's a two-lane responsibility. On the one hand, I think the Xers and the boomers need to sort of humbly admit, man, we've done some things wrong. And there are yet, by the way, there are yet big megachurch pastors that have fallen and ministries that have toppled that have yet to admit a state of repentance. Mm. And many victims of abuse of those systems would tell you, man, I've never heard anyone repent to, you know, and, and admit the wrongdoing that happened. And to me, that is a tragedy that needs to change and, and, and by God's grace will change. But if it doesn't change, God will continue doing what he's doing. I really believe it, of bringing to light a lot of the hiddenness, the secret stuff that's that's gone on for years. But I think there's also a side of, of it that the millennials have to also, you know, sort of buck up and grow up. And some of the millennials that are, and I, I say this in love, I, I know it's a sensitive line to walk, but millennials who are falling now, and, and some of the millennials who have kind of become, you know, ex-evangelical, no longer, you know, embrace all of the orthodox points of Christianity. I mean, I think you have to wonder at some point, I don't know what they believe to begin with. And I don't know that this book is for them per se. There may be better writers to tackle those topics once you get that far into, you know, sort of a, a belief system. But I think that there's a load of people still showing up to church week after week, day after day, to small groups, reading their Bibles, grappling with the Christian life. It's, it's like a, I give an example of a of a guy in my medical school class in one of the chapters, and I, how he showed up to medical school just like all of us, but about third year in medical school, he realized he did not want to be a doctor anymore. He never told anybody for a while, but he, it was too late. He was already mm. too far in debt. He couldn't get out of it. And so he showed up. He did all of the physical exams with patients. He passed all of the tests. He matched into an orthopedic residency. And to this day, I don't know that he ever was able to leave, but he was a shell of a person because he was stuck in a life that he didn't want. And I think that's the person this book is for, is those, whether they're millennials or non-millennials, Xers or Zs or whoever it is that's reading it, who is still hiding under a facade of everything is just fine, but inside you know, just like I knew, it's not great. And there is a missing link. And that link now, forget the leaders and the structures and the system and the culture. Now let's just get back to okay, God, what is it that we really believe about who you are? And so just like you, Perry, had that moment, you know, in your life or moments where you've deconstructed certain things and here you are believing again and here I am believing again, there is such a thing as true faith. There is such a thing as the person of Jesus Christ who meets all of your needs and who finds you in your darkest spots and still shows you that you do indeed belong. The deconstructing, isn't that just like tearing down everything that is facade and that feels like it's 
I mean, maybe just religion, right? Like the things yeah. that we've come to know as yeah. faith that are, you know, are not at the root of what true faith is. And so the deconstructing is to actually find who it is that you believe in and what it is you believe about him outside of all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, evangelicalism has become a religion when you really think about it in the States. You know, even even you go to small group, that's become a sort of religion. First thing, what small group are you in? Really? Like that's saving you? Oh, what? how many journals have you finished in your... I mean, we, we've made a religion. because Why? Because religion is easy. I mean, everybody wants, again, the system. You give me a system, I can do it, I'm good. But relationship with Christ is so much more. I grew up with this idea, like you have to have a quiet time in the morning. Well, what happens when you don't, when you're in a season in your life where you can't? Well, what does that mean? Like all of a sudden you're not a Christian? Do you see what I mean? Like, so what if you're having your quiet time at three in the afternoon or at seven in the evening? Yeah, yeah it's ideal to have it in the morning. But do you understand? Like, we've made it so critical. Oh, my. No one else has to tell me. There's something in me that's so rule-based and rigid and like, oh, my goodness, I don't know if God's going to show up. I mean, it's a relationship. It's like a parent and their child. You might not talk for a week, but you're still in relationship. Now, again, it helps to talk. You, you sense a, a support, a presence that is life-giving. And so I think the richness of, of those disciplines is not to be a burden that we must bear, but to be a joy that we can revel in. But whether you open your Bible and journal three things in the morning or whether you're just living in awareness of God, mm-hmm. I cannot get through this day without you. Yeah. That's faith in Christ. So you may be fully aware of this. You may be involved in this right now. You may not be aware of this, but there is this phenomenon we're talking about. It. It's called deconstruction. And really, it's the millennials right now are, are deconstructing their faith. And, and there's a good side and there's a bad side. You know, there are things that are just cultural Christianity. I think that's a lot of what's being stripped away right now. Cultural Christianity, things that, you know, aren't, they're not in the Bible and they've, they've really lost life-giving power, and those things are being shed, and that's the good side of it. That is the good side of it. And here's the thing. I think oftentimes we're not aware of that. Like what is actually biblical, what is how God wants us to live versus the stuff that I've caught from being in a culture of Christianity inside the church. Mm -hmm. And the bad part of it is when we start deconstructing some of the, the core beliefs of the Bible. Yep. That's where it gets too far, and that's what's happening as well. Not only, you know, replacing some of the forms or getting rid of the stuff that's not life-giving, it's like throwing the whole thing out, and then, you know, the way of Jesus becomes mm-hmm. something that's that's not—we don't see in the Bible. So there's there's both sides to it. The good right. and the bad is what I see, and I, I feel like, you know, the, the church always needs to deconstruct, come back to the Scriptures— and then reconstruct. I mean, we see that happening all through the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's just a continuous story of the Bible that God is, you know, creating opportunities to see him for who he truly is and that all that other stuff fall out. Yeah, I think that's what revival is. You know, we talk about revival right. and it's it's really lost its meaning. But if you look at some of the, you know, Hebrew stories in the Old Testament, you see certain kings bringing in, you know, the new, the the revival, the repentance, coming back to God with our whole heart. That's the part of deconstruction we need to embrace and not 
throw out the ancient faith once delivered to all the saints. Okay, you know what healthy deconstruction looks like? Okay, hit me with it. Repentance. Hmm. That's healthy deconstruction. Get rid of the stuff that is not of God, that he doesn't want there. That's a healthy way to deconstruct. Yeah. The book is called Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. If you could do your story over again, what would you change? Well, first, I've, I even talk about that in the book. I mean, if you ask me, would you do it over again? My first instinct is to say, heck no, 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 no. I mean, it was really hard for a few years. Now, I mean, it's uh, nine years later. I think, uh, would I do it again? Do I have any regrets? I mean, one regret uh, in hindsight was I should have left the church six months sooner. Mm-hmm. I think fear kept me from leaving in time. Uh, there's no perfect time. There's always going to be a hard time to go. But but I see what I see now, and I think, why did I stay? I was so attached to a system, mm. and I was so afraid that, that, that losing the system would, would just sink me somehow. And as hard as it was, I think about all of the things that have happened as a result of, of the last 10 years and, and the work that we're doing now, not just the ministry in the, in the Middle East, but also we just started this year the Hope Ranch, which is a a retreat house for women to be able to come and get away for two days. Some I call them semi-silent retreats in, mm-hmm. in Barrington, a uh, half hour from my house. I mean, just some richest just things that I never would have thought to do. So mm-hmm. I think, I, I wish I could say, well, I, I trust God more. I want that to be my story. I think about, mm-hmm. I can't remember which uh, missionary, but she was like 80 or 90, one of the old-time missionaries. It wasn't Amy Carmichael, but in that era, you know, yeah. it, that at the end of her life, they said, well, what would you do differently? She says, I would have trusted him more. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I hope that I can trust him more in the future. You know, you don't, you, you stop expecting yourself to be a certain way, but I hope that this experience has taught me to trust him more. You know, what do you say to those who are just seeing unhealth in the church? They're in the place that you were in where they're like, I don't know what to do. What would you say to that person? Yeah. To the person listening who's hurting right now, you know, it's funny. It's, um, yeah, there's a point where everything sounds hollow and, and I don't know if that's where you're at. Uh, I would encourage you to buy this book. I talk about that. I think, I think that you might find that you're not as alone as you think you are when you read the story of someone who uh, was in that same place. I think that's, that's empathy at the end of the day, is, is the ability to understand where people have been. And there are people who, you know, I talk about some more controversial things. There's a chapter I talk a bit about my relationship with a woman who's a lesbian and, and she is a Christian. And sort of my struggle with sort of understanding how as a Bible-believing Christian, that relationship, she's one of my closest friends and the wrestling with that. I think that there are some aspects of culture that we'll never understand in the way that others who, like, I'm not black, so I'm not going to understand mm-hmm. the plight of every black person. But again, I think I think we've got to at least be willing to sit in the same room. Yeah. And so if that's you and you feel like no one's in the room with you, I would urge you to hear this. I may not have all the answers for you, but listen, I'm at least willing to sit in your room. Lena Abajamra, just really encourage you to get a hold of this book and you know, if you're in this place of hurting, you know, I see I see my kids sort of looking at the the faith that was handed down to them and and they're they're seeing things that were not healthy or were not life giving, but they're not leaving the faith. I think that this is a time for the church to be reinvented mm, yeah. in the sense of, okay, here are the root foundations things that are not negotiable. These are the, this is the core faith once delivered for all the saints, but it could be done in a fresh way. It can be done in a 
book of Acts way, in a very simple way, for example. The book is called Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction by Lena Abajamra.